0: The Anesthesia Podcast. Good afternoon. Welcome, welcome, everyone. It's an absolute pleasure to be here to talk to two fantastic, fantastic individuals, fantastic anaesthetists, and uh, people I'm honoured to call my friends. Uh, I'm Kareem. I'm going to be hosting this live video broadcast from Anesthesia Journal. We're going to be talking about an editorial that was published today uh, um, uh, and I'm uh, joined by two of the fantastic authors which is Tim Cook uh, and Tay Sheraton who are both consultant anaesthetists in different parts of the world. Uh, The idea of the editorial and the story that they were talking about and trying to deliver was about the need for safe, stable and sustainable resumption of planned surgery in the era of COVID-19. So I'd like to begin by by welcoming Tim and Tay. Lovely to have you both here. I hope you're enjoying the nice weather at some stage today. Thanks, Craig.
1: It's weather change I have not noticed.
0: Well, you've you, you've been hiding indoors uh, doing lots of writing. It sounds like maybe. I'm going to start with uh, um uh, opening it opening this up to Tay because I think there's two separate issues here with resumption of surgical uh, um, uh, workload, which is. Firstly there's the the staff and then secondly there's the patients and we've got to really think about the needs of both staff and patients. Starting with the staff it's really about staff well-being so Tate just talk me through a little bit about what we know about the issues and the challenges with staff well-being after the the most recent surge in particular.
2: Yeah so I think that there's a very good question is what, what are we actually recovering from and the things that I think that we're that a lot of the staff are experiencing a fatigue, burnout. Some of them will be traumatised and a a small minority may go on to get uh, PTSD. Um, Some will get a worsening of their existing mental health problems. And many um, will have a kind of lack of connection to work, colleagues and their hobbies. And um, all of those are gonna make it quite challenging then to to persuade people that, 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 that we need to get on into a backlog of surgery. On the other hand, it's mm-hmm. also quite, um, uh, um, th- lots of people have really stepped up. And so now this is an opportunity where we can start changing the way that we work, that there's a new challenge ahead of us. But as long as we have some time to recover and recuperate and decompress, I think that the, the staff will step up and will and will move on because there is a lot of um, satisfaction that comes from, from providing good patient care. That's, something that's really
0: important to, to all of our colleagues First, mm. and and i mean i think probably most of us here will will have felt it to some degree or another do you know how what the extent of the issue of uh staff well-being is how how big is the problem that we have in terms of fatigue and uh, and and all of the, the the risks that you that you highlighted
2: so Neil Greenberg has published some work on this. And then there's also, in my own hospital, we've done some questionnaires around that, where we've surveyed at three different stages during the pandemic. And I think early on, and the psychologists themselves have experienced surges just after each of the clinical surges, so early on, um, there was uh, a lot of trauma was experienced, um, but not necessarily going on to PTSD. And but later, so in the most recent after the most recent surge, what we've seen is that especially the um, leaders, so especially the managers, the clinical managers, that they have been a group that have struggled a bit more um, relatively in, uh, in, this, in the second wave. And I suspect that's because they've kind of been holding everything together. And now that it, it's getting a bit harder because they're getting a bit tired and they're a really important group because they're a group that we need to to get to, to show um, support and leadership as we as we come out of this. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of what my experience has been.
0: Mm. And Tim, I mean, it. Uh it does sound like there is a substantial issue here. Um, And has there been anything that's been done so far, do you think, to try and address the issue of staff well-being? Or have we just completely focused on dealing with the clinical need, moving from one clinical need to the next to the next? Has there been sufficient work that's been done to try and address the the well-being needs of of our our workforce? I I think... um work has been going on along
1: with the pandemic. So I think that, you know, there has been work that's been done. Um, so speaking personally, uh, locally, but um, um, we've had uh, involvement of our clinical psychologists who's, who some, some of their other work has, is, has not been happening, particularly the first surge. And so they were redeployed to support um, critical care. We had a, a lead for, well, for well-being for um, in the department uh, for and um, Uh, Critical care uh, and uh, specific support for the nursing staff and others. Um, So, I think there has been work done. Um, More broadly, um, you know, the Intensive Care Society um, and the association have both uh, got significant resources um, to support staff in terms of well being. Going back to what Tay was saying, um, uh, Neil Greenberg. Who's a military psychologist, uh, psychiatrist rather, in training, um, working with Kevin Fong and others, um, have published and are going to publish further data, looking at um, the degree of uh, psychological distress, not beyond distress, but um, markers of psychological illness of people working in critical care during the pandemic, and up to four, well more than forty percent in the first wave, and considerably above that in the second wave yet to be published, um, had um, characteristics which would meet the criteria of significant psychological uh, uh, harm or illness, including depression, PTSD, uh, anxiety, etc. Um, and it's also recognized that I, my understanding is obviously not my an area of expertise for me, but my understanding is that the vast majority of Uh, psychological fallout, psychiatric and psychological fallout from um, crisis situations comes in the aftermath of the the crisis, not during them. So people, anaesthetists and intensivists will be very familiar with the adrenaline rush of dealing with an emergency with a crisis sort of in the micro um, and then thinking, goodness, what went on with that afterwards? And perhaps, um, you know, expanded to to a greater extent. um, the response to the last year uh, that many people have been through um, so it is a uh, although I think there has been really good work uh, and I think uh, NHS Central has um, uh, become to realize that there is a real need for well-being and support of staff um, but when we get back to you know so the topic of this conversation is about restoration of Safe, stable, sustainable surgical services to ES is there, um, but getting surgery back on track. Um, and we can't do that without addressing uh, the psychological uh, both well-being and health um, of, of staff. So there's a lot more to be done. Um, and it's not, and I think one of the key points to get across is um, that this isn't none of this is a quick fix and none of this is a sprint. Um, We are entering a uh, marathon in terms of restoring surgical services. I'll probably say this again during the the conversation. Um, And that requires preparation, planning, um, and it will require collaboration and and innovation. Uh, Sorry about that noise coming in. That's all right.
0: You are a popular man. Um, what you highlight was is a question that does often come up is um you know if there's been a lot of uh, a lot of investment and thought put into well-being why are we still seeing this degree of of a psychological trauma in the healthcare workforce but you're right that what we need to be thinking is how do we get to the surgical services that we really need to be doing with a with a healthcare workforce that is as Prepared as they are cognitively. And what, I mean, you highlight a couple of things in the paper. So Tay, what sort of things do you think that today we should be doing from today in uh, at an individual level and maybe at a department level to make sure that we have the workforce capable of, of delivering the, the marathon, as Tim highlighted, of uh, looking after surgical patients in the coming months, this massive workload, which we'll touch upon in uh, in a little bit. What can we do today?
2: So I think, but one of the first things we should be doing is saying thank you. And um, will, well, in Wales, the Welsh government have, have given some uh, uh, some money to each of the NHS uh, workers, all the frontline workers, and that's one way of saying thank you. But there are many different ways that that you can say thank you. And I think that that's been shown to um, people appreciate that, and they they're, they're more resilient to go into the next challenge, which will be. Mm-hmm. Obviously, restarting surgical services with a huge backlog. Um, I think that we uh, need to be watchful of what people are doing. So we should be looking and staff who don't turn up for work, or then then we need to be proactive in following up those staff and wondering whether that that and establishing whether or not they have mental health problems. Um, uh, that return to work, uh, normal work interviews for some staff. Might be appropriate, and if with limited resources, we should probably start with those staff who um, who are most at risk. And so we know that um, staff who have existing mental health problems, or staff who are um, under more pressure. So that may be the SAS doctors, or we you know black and ethnic minority groups have also um, been under a, a lot of a lot of pressure and felt less empowered during the pandemic. That that those are groups that we need to just be more mind, mindful of with the limited resources. What else? So asking them, asking people, how's your past year been? I'm trying to understand mm. what the issues are. And I go back mm. to why it's so important for the clinical directors and the medical managers to really be able to have um, psychologically savvy conversations so that they can understand what the individual issues are so that you can kind of draw the, them together in some kind of, coherent way so that everybody's contributing in some way um, that's rewarding for them and useful for the department as well um,
0: so i mean i think you you highlighted some really good good ideas there and good points but one of the things that that you talk about and i think i'll um uh, divert to tim on this um you talk about you know people returning from from uh, military service having uh, a fixed duration of time i don't want to uh, speak about specific time durations because every everyone is different every situation is slightly different tim do you think that we should almost to a certain extent enforce leave on people who have been working so solidly make sure that people do get that time because unless it's enforced there's a risk that people you know are going to say oh but i've got to get back to you know doing doing my my normal theater lists i've got to get back to the surgical services that we need to deliver on what do you think
1: um, can I come to that in a minute? One of the things I wanted to pick up on is, is I think that there are two separate issues. So, so there are, so there is, t- you know, people are saying staff are really tired; they need a rest, and that's true. So, so staff are uh, extremely tired. Staff are exhausted. I think pretty much everybody that's been involved in critical care is exhausted. Um, many people will not have had um, leave, or will have had a fraction of the leave. That um, they should have had um, both annual leave and study leave and keeping up to date leave. Um, and there is a need for uh, restitution of that. So there is a need for rest in that regard rest and recovery. But it goes far beyond people being tired. People are, you know, I think I use the word depleted. Um, so I think most, I think everybody is exhausted. Many people, most people are depleted and some people are traumatized, um, and psychologically. So, the word, um, or the phrase, um, moral injury has has come into considerable use in the in the in fer, particularly in the first search. But people, um, you know, were um, in some circumstances, not everybody, of course, but in some circumstances made to or or. or, or is the wrong term but put into situations where they had to make, make decisions or be involved in situations um, which were not normal um, and where they had to work um, outside their normal practices be it uh, nursing staff or medical staff coming and working in intensive care but they're not normally there or senior decision makers on intensive care uh, making decisions um, which were uh, very much outside their normal, normal remit. Now, the degree to which uh, the NHS was overwhelmed uh, is a matter for debate, uh, perhaps in another forum, but it certainly was overwhelmed to a certain extent. You know, every unit was whelmed to a certain degree. And um, so it's more, than, uh, it's more than just normal tiredness. People must be unable to take leave. Um, which will mean that the service can't work as normal. But people also need something more than that. And, and coming back to your um, comment about enforced um, holiday, as it were, then um, I, I don't think enforced holiday is, is, is perhaps the right thing, but I think people should be encouraged to take some, some timely leave to catch up with leave. But there are, there are other elements. So the, again, going back to Neil Greenberg um, and the military, Um, when people uh, have been deployed um, in military circumstances and remembering that the degrees of psychological harm identified in Neil Greenberg's survey were higher than those people returning from active deployment, say, in in Afghanistan um, using similar surveys. So there's a lot of psychological trauma and um, periods of decompression were, uh, were, were used. So that is... Um, an active process, not simply saying, look, go and have a rest. Um, It is the same people who are working together, um, going through a process of uh, informally uh, meeting together. Obviously, it's difficult in in current circumstances, um, but in some way meeting together, uh, relaxing, uh, discussing what they've been through, um, being thanked um, and, 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 and sharing some, process of recovery from what's happened. And while it doesn't seem practical for that to happen uh, to the NHS in the same way as it might happen in a military uh, standing uh, or situation, um, it, it would seem sensible for uh, people to consider that. Um, and I know some trusts are, are considering how they can do some, some form of, of um, informally or formally informal process of um, team uh, decompressing, debriefing and um, rebuilding as it were and I think the leave issue is a, is a separate thing and, and um, but I think that, that is an important process and we, and we talk about it briefly in the editorial uh, and we refer to documents where it's discussed uh, in more detail.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's obvious that 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 there's a huge amount of work that needs to be done, and there there's there's something that that um, we've also got to refocus on as well is recovery of this of staff, but, but then also it's the recovery of the surgical patient, and you know what what's highlighted time and time again is the it's just the extent of um, uh, of the waiting list, right? So you highlight that more than four four million patients are currently waiting two million of which who've been basically waiting because of the pandemic and, uh, and marrying the, the well being of the healthcare workforce with the needs of the patient is the biggest challenge. Tay, what are your thoughts on, on the, the most practical ways of marrying those two? What can and should we do to, to make sure that we're delivering the surgical services that we need without compromising the welfare of our healthcare workforce?
2: So I think what, what Tim was was saying about about um connect connecting those individuals who've worked together um back together again is, is a really important point. And um although it's a very simple thing, things like having decent coffee rooms, a decent coffee room where people can sit down and uh have a break together and, and not constantly have to move because there's not enough space. Um, I know that that's been a big issue for us. We've just moved to a new hospital, and the coffee rooms um, aren't, aren't really big enough. And mm. I suppose another thing that I would say, which again is quite basic, is, is being able to have a safe space that you can go to, a safe that you, a space that you feel is your area. So when you're having a moment, perhaps you've been leading quite a difficult scenario, that actually you can go and be on your own or be somewhere somewhere that's with a small group of people that you know very well or um so those things access to food access to rest facilities those are yeah. things a schwartz type round as well on a regular basis that that can be useful for those teams to reconnect mm. the teams have been split up and some of the other mm. things i've kind of already said like the, thank, the thank yous and yeah and, and making an environment where it's okay to have different ways of, of dealing with things as well. That, that's, that's
0: fundamental. Um, so I think I think you you're absolutely right that we've got to change our environment as well for the for where we're actually working, right? The environment needs to adapt. But what about the systems and 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 Tim I'll I'll come to you on on, on this. Do we need to change how we are actually delivering surgical services there's been a lot of emphasis on this uh, high volume low acuity hubs do we need to start to really quite quickly rethink our structure our infrastructure and you know how we work saturday working sunday working you know how are we going to actually do this to recover
1: i mean the short the short answer to to, to the question is yeah we need to we need to we are likely to need significant innovation and rethink about uh, what we do whether it be uh, new locations new ways of working um uh, which we shouldn't rush into i think you know we need to they, those need to be evaluated and based on as much evidence as they can be mm-hmm. rather than and i think one of the great dangers of I've, 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 I've talked on this a couple of times and i've got a couple of slides which show some sprinters rushing to you know to to you know, chest forward trying to reach the uh, the line in a sixty metre dash, um, and then another one of of people um, uh, with water bottles walking slowly with hats in the marathon they saw, but there's sort of seven marathons in seven days. And I think there's a bit of danger, certainly after the first search, there was a danger that the view was, come on, let's crack on. And the solution to this is sprint to the start line or sprint to the finish line of starting surgery. Um, we need to get on um, at all costs and um, that's not a solution so um, we need the the solution will evolve um, and I expect there'll be errors that are made while we find the solution but this is not a a sprint Um, this is a problem that will take years so I think I'm I'm actually more focused on, on defining and making clear what the problem is rather than necessarily solutions at this point. Um, because I think unless we acknowledge the problem, then we will find the wrong solutions. So uh, there, are, there are, so as well as our editorial, which is on the anaesthesia intensive care medicine hub as well, um, There is an excellent document from the BMA called Rest, Recover and Restore, uh, and there's one with a similar title from um, Intensive Care Society, which is Recover and Restitution of Critical Care. And um, we have to get the the circumstances, um, the playing field, as it were, um, uh, and our personal preparation and our patient's preparation right before we can proceed, because otherwise we'll get it completely wrong. Uh, Working harder, working faster, working longer is not a solution um, for this problem. So different people estimate anywhere from 2 to 3 million um, patients who didn't have surgery or didn't have procedures um, in 2020, and a waiting list of anything from uh, 5 to 7 million on the waiting list. Um, It's worth reflecting that in 2019, there were already discussions about how we could manage how we could keep up with waiting lists because we weren't managing to keep up. Um, and uh, so we have a really compounded problem. And people will say, well, the answer to this is better theatre efficiency. Well, I've um, been a consultant for 22 years and there is has not been a year, perhaps not ever, not even a quarter, where someone hasn't talked about improving theatre efficiency. And there are marginal gains to be made. Um, uh, But we were not succeeding in 2019. And if we work at, uh, we essentially have at least a year's backlog. So if we work at 100% of normal activity, which will be difficult in the next year, remembering that the pandemic is not finished. And we are at risk of, there will almost inevitably be uh, something of a surge when lockdown is released. There will almost certainly be a surge of um, uh, COVID and other respiratory diseases next winter. And if we are unlucky enough to have um, variants and look to Manaus for what's happened in Brazil, what's happened when you get new variants, if we get um, vaccine escape, then we may be back to to, to, to zero. But if we were to work at 100% of normal activity um, in 2021, which we're not going to do, we wouldn't shift the backlog at all. And if we worked at 150% of maximum activity, which is impossible, It would take two years to to address the backlog, and 110% would take a decade. So this is not a sprint. This is a marathon. And the solutions, which I'm not going to offer, um, need to be carefully thought out and planned. Perhaps the most important um, point that that I want to make is that it's really easy for this discussion, and indeed, (coughs) excuse me, the editorial, to come across as one that is... It is about denying patients timely care and not caring about a waiting list, but it's quite the opposite. Um, there is no point in in rushing into this if we don't get it right. Um, there are there is a significant excess. So the, BM, the BMA talks about um, up to a third of doctors thinking about early retirement. Um, an anaesthesia survey, uh, sorry, College analysis survey survey, um, identified. Uh, 18% of anesthetists thinking about leaving the profession, and th- I think 30% um, uh, thinking about early retirement, and 30% um, uh, with mental stress. So we've got to get this right, um, and and I think unless we unless we characterise the problem, unless we characterise the challenges that exist and accept those, um, then we can't we you know we can't uh, come to the solution. So I think. First, acknowledge um, what has happened to staff and systems and space in the last year. Um, second, characterize what the problem is going forward. And then only third, try and work out what the solutions. Yes, we need to get on with surgery. Um, absolutely, it is essential that those many, many people, millions of people who are on surgical waiting lists get timely surgery. But it's no, there's no point in sprinting to the wrong solutions because we won't serve those people well.
0: Very well said. And uh, I think that it'll be hard for uh, anyone to disagree with that. Our focus is to get to those patients and treat them, but treat them as safely as possible and to have a sustainable system for our healthcare workers and for our patients as well. So with those thoughts, uh, I I think that it's time to draw this Fantastic discussion to a close. I'd love to just chat to both of you for hours and hours and hours, but I think that would bore uh, uh, the Twitter sphere. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but but I, I'm 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 very very grateful to both of you for your time. I hope our viewers found this uh, um, enjoyable, interesting, and I hope everyone has a moment to just have a read of that editorial because it's thought provoking. It, it gets us to really think about focusing on the areas that we need to work on to be sustainable for ourselves. And for our patients. So, with that, thank you very much, Tay, and thank you very much, Tim. Absolute pleasure to have this chat with you. Pleasure. Nice to see you both.
2: Thank you.
0: The Anesthesia Podcast.